Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of your Palace of Pistons podcast. We have a great show for you today. You're hearing an unfamiliar voice to start off the show. That's because Jasper Apollonia, that's me, I'm going to be hosting for today. We are missing our faithful and always consistent uh, regular host, Mike Angulano, but it's just going to be me and Aaron Johnson carrying through through our final division preview for the preseason we have the central division today aaron and this is the one i think not only you and me uh but all our fans have been (laughs) fans or otherwise have been looking forward to as well yeah this is the one that definitely hits home for for our ourselves and our listeners so some good stuff a division that is uh has undergone a, a major change at the top obviously and it's an interesting division where the Pistons sat at the bottom last year and we'll see if they sit at the bottom again this upcoming year, but excited to get into that and more with you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. But to start things off, we have a message as always from our sponsors, bet online. It is a Texas showdown in the postseason, and bet online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info with up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time update on statistics, news, and odds. And guess what? They have everything you need to stay up to speed on each current uh, uh, world. Uh, sorry, league championship series all the way through to the World Series. I'm going to be honest with you, Aaron. That was uh, uh, an abbreviation, and I completely forgot. I'm in full-time basketball mode. But if you're in baseball mode or in basketball mode or in football mode, you can head to the website today and use your mobile device to get in on on the action. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEF, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Now, Aaron... We have a lot to talk about with this division, and not just because it's the Pistons division, but also because probably the biggest piece of offseason news, the biggest storyline for the entire offseason, the biggest question for the offseason, was where will Damian Lillard end up? It was clear that he wasn't going to be staying in Portland. We finally got our answer a couple of weeks ago. The Milwaukee Bucks, and this is a team that won the championship, Two years ago, last year fell a little bit short. They were 51 and 31, third in the Eastern Conference. 
it felt like a very, very disappointing exit in the playoffs when they lost to the Miami Heat in a matchup that, honestly, the Heat looked like they deserved to win all the way through. Now, this, they started off plus 600 to win the title, pulled off a trade for Damian Lillard, which now has boosted it up to plus 380 to win the title, tied with the Celtics. They are obviously the runaway favorites to win the division as well at minus 400. But this is, to me, one of the most intriguing questions of the NBA, at least when it pertains to the higher-level teams, the championship-caliber teams. How much is the losses of Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, and to a much lesser extent, Serge Ibaka, Joe Ingles, and I think these two guys are, <laughs> one of them's not a player, but I think both of them could end up being very important losses. Javon Carter and Mike Budenholzer, how do those losses offset the gains of Robin Lopez, Malik Beasley, Campaign, and of course, Damian Lillard? Uh, I, there's a lot of questions surrounding this team, Aaron, and I want to let you get into them first. I think first off, the question has to be, where are the Bucks in your eyes at this point after losing their the guy who took them to the title? Let's be honest, Drew Holiday was that missing piece and the coach who got them there and replacing them with somebody in Damian Lillard, who was one of the stars of the NBA, as well as Adrian Griffin, who is getting his very first shot at an NBA coaching job. Yeah, I think, look, Milwaukee being plus 380, tied for the best odds. I like Milwaukee a lot, but they have a lot to figure out this year. And not that it's not possible, right? It, they they certainly can win a championship. I am a little shocked that they have the best odds in the league to do so. Look, Damian Lillard is a huge get, and I am I, – I, I like the idea of him in Milwaukee – I think it's better for the league that he's there than Miami. How teams are going to stop Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I have literally no idea. Uh, but I am curious how much of the loss, especially defensively, of guys like Drew Holiday and Javon Carter impact this team. Like Carter was quietly a really, really good backup last year, and he was also an effective starter when Holiday or, or Middleton was out and they needed another guard in the lineup. Uh, that's a big loss. Drew Holiday, what he does uh, and what he did in Milwaukee speaks for itself. He elevated his game to another level and became a national, uh, you know, nationally recognized, maybe more so than he was in New Orleans, for his ability defensively to elevate the team. Those are big, big time losses. You're also integrating a new coaching philosophy with a new head coach. You're losing Mike Budenholzer, who had been there for so long, was obviously the coach that led them to a championship. But it's a move. The decisions that Milwaukee made were probably necessary this offseason. Obviously, if you have a chance to go get Damian Lillard, arguably still a top 15 player in the league. You have to take that chance, even if it does mean you got to cut off some of the, the extra depth that you had on your roster. Uh, it's a move that your star player, your franchise player, Giannis, wanted the team to make. And you have to appease someone like that when you're trying to get him to stay long term in Milwaukee. Uh, I, I, I think Milwaukee can certainly win the title this year. 
I think they can certainly come out of the East this year. I think I'd have them second behind Boston. I think I like Boston's roster just in terms of they, I think they've got like the, the best top five, top six guys in the league in terms of, you know, depth and talent combined. Um, but Milwaukee's certainly capable and you put potentially the best player in the league in Giannis alongside Damian Lillard. It's going to create an incredibly, incredibly fun dynamic, but I think it's a team that's also going to be trying to to find a way to add some depth throughout the year at the trade deadline uh, during buyout season, trying to find some ways to add some depth, maybe get a couple more defenders on the roster is losing Javon Carter, losing holiday, losing Grayson Allen. Those are, those are significant losses. I, I do feel. I, I'm inclined to agree with you, especially on uh, Carter and Drew Holiday. I, I'm glad you brought up Javon Carter as well because, yeah, he was really good for them last year. He was an underrated part of that team. But I do think they did a pretty good job of mitigating the losses. Look, the only other player they sent out in that Damian Lillard trade other than Drew Holiday was Grayson Allen. And they managed to replace him with Malik Beasley, who to me, while maybe not as good a defensive player, is certainly an upgrade offensively. Uh, And I think campaign bringing him in as well to play that backup point guard position, I think that was also really savvy. It's going to be, in my opinion, a little bit of, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A feeling out process to begin this season. Because like you just said, They lost the guy who was, in my opinion, the key piece in getting them over the hump to a title in Drew Holiday. Mike Budenholzer was there for a long time. And now you have to not only replace a a guy in the locker room, a guy on the court, you have to replace some of that culture. And you really need to fill in the gaps there. Bringing in a superstar like Damian Lillard is going to change how your locker room works. It's going to change how play on the floor proceeds. Drew Holiday was not out there looking for his shot primarily. Damian Lillard is. And I think when you bring in a player like that, I think of even like the Miami Heat when they first got together. And that first year, there was just, there was a feeling out process with those guys. They had to figure out exactly like, is D Wade the alpha or is LeBron the alpha? And I know in 2023, that sounds like a silly thing. Obviously, it's LeBron. But it wasn't so much back then. There were real questions there. And figuring out how to play together as two absolute superstars, guys who are the best player on championship-level teams, figuring out how to play together, that was was a process for them. I think especially, too, when you're bringing in a first-year head coach in Adrian Griffin, there's a lot of questions. And when you do get to the playoffs— you are almost certainly, unless something goes terribly wrong for one of these teams, going to be looking at an eventual matchup with the Celtics. How does Damian Lillard match up with Drew Holiday and vice versa? I do think, actually, when you look at their roster, they did a pretty good job of holding on to some depth. Like campaign, Jay Crowder, um, uh, Robin and Brooke Lopez. I do kind of count Brooke Lopez as uh, depth sort of at this point. Malik Beasley, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, they can go 9-10 deep. I'm not that worried. I do think, like you said, if they can in the trade market, if they can in um, the buyout market find another piece, they're definitely going to be looking for that. It's going to be hard in terms of trades, 
because they don't have any more first-round picks to move after that trade. So that will definitely be something they're going to have to figure out, but I'm extremely high on this team. I think that if they can just figure out the chemistry, if they can figure out the egos in there, if Adrian Griffin can prove to be a good X's and O's coach and, and be the right guy to lead what could be a very, you know, ego-driven locker room, I think that they absolutely are going to be worthy of, uh, you know, being one of the favorites for the titles, especially when you look around and you look at the other favorites in, you know, the Nuggets and the Celtics. When it comes to the top-end guys, the Bucks are right up there with them. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. And I think one other underrated aspect of the trade, and it's one that, you know, Milwaukee couldn't think about when they were making the deal, but Drew Holiday went to the worst possible place for them, right? Going to Boston, going to the team, their biggest rival in the conference. It's the 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 worst possible outcome for them, and it, it certainly puts them at a disadvantage. I mean, Drew Holiday has a history of, it's hard to say shutting down, but really shutting down Damian Lillard in the postseason before. So, uh, and it it and it makes it made their they're already their biggest competition in the in the East that much more difficult to beat. So that series, watching those two teams play together, even during the regular season, is going to be must see television. And I'm very very excited at what the those those matchups are going to look like. Totally, totally agree with you there, Mike. Uh, Mike, I'm sorry. I'm just used to responding to Mike. Uh, I, I totally agree. With I you wouldn't there. mind being Mike. I mean, this guy's got a <laughs> A, a real life going on, you know. I was gonna say he's a homeowner, so <laughs> what it, what <laughs> it be the worst it. thing in the world? Yeah, what would be the worst thing? No, but I agree with you. I think that those, you know, we talk about the regular season for the NBA meaning less and less every year. I think that those Bucks Celtics matchups, those are going to be ones that even as a casual fan, you got to circle because you need to see how the teams match up uh, in the regular season before you even get to the postseason. I anticipate there being some real wars. And like you said, with their defense, losing Javon Carter, losing Drew, they were the fourth best team in the NBA defensively last year, only 12th offensively. It'll be really interesting to see what happens if those two things kind of switch and they take a step forward offensively, but perhaps almost certainly take a step backwards defensively. That will be really interesting to see. So the Bucks ran away with the division last year. Like we said, they went 58 and 24. They were easily the best team. But right underneath them were Mike's beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. And it does kill us not to have them on the podcast this week to talk about them. Uh, but it might keep us under two hours. So eh, pluses and minuses. Uh, the Cavaliers were beaten by the Knicks 4 2 in the first round of the playoffs. After what was a really exciting regular season, they pulled off the Donovan Mitchell trade. Uh, I know that's known by everybody at this point, but it is, I think, important to note that this is only year two of Donovan Mitchell, um, especially since they did not have Darius Garland healthy for the whole season last year. Uh, they are plus 70 to win the division, plus 2,500 to win the championship. Sounds about right to me. Some key additions. They brought in George Niang. They brought in... Ty Jerome, Imani Bates, and here's the real one that's important, Max Struess uh, from the Miami Heat. On the other hand, didn't lose too much in terms of young, important players. Uh, uh, Seti Osman is now uh, off the team. He's on the Trailblazers. Lamar Stevens, Robin Lopez, Danny Green, 
All guys that got a little bit of playing time for them, but certainly are replaceable. I think for this year, the real question has to be, what is that, you know, what what does that Allen Mobley dynamic look like in year three? And not only that, but is Donovan Mitchell committed to Cleveland in the long term? We did not see that much of him and Darius Garland on the floor together last year, at least not as much as Cavaliers fans would have liked to see. Um, you know, what is that going to look like for this season as well? Aaron, I'm interested to see where you come down on the Cleveland Cavaliers because I think this is a team that you could either be very, very high on and see them as having an upward trajectory, or you could worry about a little bit of the stagnation that happened with guys that weren't named Donovan Mitchell last year and maybe think, hmm, you know, do they need to readjust a little bit? Because Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Darius Garland were all spectacular two years ago and took a bit of a back seat, I think, to the Donovan Mitchell show last season, didn't they? Look, I I, I think Cleveland has a chance to to be very, very good. I think they have a chance to come out of the East, in, in all honesty. Donovan Mitchell is a top player in the league. I think Darius Garland and Evan Mobley both have bigger, bigger ceilings than where they're at right now. And both can take a major step forward this upcoming year. I do think the big question is, is playing Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen together and playing them in the starting lineup together, does that work for this team? And it might look different this year. It might look better this year because, A, they've now had a season under belt, getting experience. J.B. Bickerstaff is going to have a year of film to look at, and his coaching staff is going to have had a year of film to look at to game plan better with those two better on the court. But they've also got a legitimate wing to put in that starting lineup now in Max Drews, and that was such a problem for them last year. It's been a problem for Cleveland really ever since LeBron James left is they have not had that star wing, that high-level wing, and it's been, you know, Isaac Okoro, it's been Chetty Osman, it's been Lamar Stevens. Like they've they've circled in these, brought in these guys, and they they just haven't been able to live up to what Cleveland needs. And bringing in a big time floor spacer, a guy that's going to command a ton of gravity on the offensive side of the court. Like it doesn't matter that he's not a great defender because they have a back line of Mobley and Allen who are two elite level defenders. So I am high on Cleveland. I think there's a world where they come out of the East. I, I'm a an abashed Donovan Mitchell fan. I think Garland and Mobley can get better, will be better. I mean, Mobley has a chance to be defensive player of the year good if he can continue to take a leap on offense. I, I don't know if the comfort's there yet for him to really expand to the three-point line yet, but if he can be a consistent 16, 18-footer type guy where he can knock those shots down, doesn't have to just live in the paint, I like where Cleveland's headed. And again, Darius Garland, uh, an all-star type point guard. He has a very, very high ceiling as well. So I'm high on Cleveland. I, I do think there's a world where they come out of the East. I do think there's a world where they win this division as well. So uh, it's maybe not the take many are expecting. And I know it sounds like a take that probably be coming out of Mike's mouth more so than mine, but yeah, I, I, I do like Cleveland. I, and if, if, Things aren't working this year with Mobley and Allen. Like, then they can look at, hey, do we move off Jared Allen? Do we move Evan Mobley to the center spot? Do we try to get 
another, you know, six, eight, six, nine stretch, big stretch wing type guy to play alongside him to space out the floor more. Um, but I think they, they, they owe it to everyone on that team to run it back now that they have uh, Struess and, and see what they can do. I mean, this is still a team that won 51 games last year. What happened in the playoffs sucks. It obviously can't happen again, but they still won 51 games last year and look spectacular throughout the season. Aaron, I think Mike's going to be hooting and hollering when he listens to this podcast because I feel the exact same way. I think this is one of the most overlooked teams, not even in the East, but in the entire league. Um, I know that what happened in the playoffs, yeah, like you said, it was disappointing. But this was the number one defensive team in the league last year, according to defensive rating. And guess what? Even though they weren't able to necessarily put all those guys on the floor at the same time, they still had a top 10 offense as well. I I think they are really, really good. And look, the knock on Donovan Mitchell has always been he's not a very good defender. You can also say that about Max Struess. But when you have two players in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen who are so effective at the rim— And not just in the way that Rudy Gobert was effective for Utah. They are guys that can switch onto the perimeter. They are guys that can work in conjunction with each other defensively. Not a single pivot where if he's out from the paint, you're in trouble. We saw it in the playoffs with Utah all the time. Teams would just do everything they could until they could switch Gobert onto the perimeter. And then the paint was open. You can't do that with Cleveland. And I think that they are a team that is way more versatile than people are giving them credit for. I think that they are a team that is way more dangerous on both ends of the floor than a lot of teams are giving them credit for. One guy you neglected to mention, Karis LeVert, is back. Um, You know, you talk about wing defense. He was a guy that they over-depended upon last year. That is without a a doubt true. But I think now that Struess is there... You can take a little bit of that offensive load off of Karras' shoulders, ask him to focus a little bit more on the defensive side of things. I still think that Isaac Okoro, even though in a lot of ways this is kind of a put-up-or-shut-up kind of year for him, he can really provide you with some nice things on the defensive end of the floor. This, to me, is a team that was overrated last year because they made such a splashy move and because Donovan Mitchell was so good, and things just didn't quite work out in the way that they needed to for them to make a run. I think that people are now overlooking them for this year. This is a team that I look forward to gelling better than they have before. I think that they are in a great position to not just repeat 50 wins, but maybe win two or three more games this year. I I really do think that this is an underratedly complete roster. I mean, when you look at the guys they lost, not that bad. And, like, George Niang is a good player as well. Let's not forget to talk about him. He's the winningest player in the league since he entered the league. Fun fact, George Niang, no one's won more games than him since he entered the NBA. So I think for me, if you are getting the health from Darius Garland, from from Evan Mobley, from Jared Allen, if, if you guys can stay healthy and they can have a chance to really gel the regular season, that they didn't quite last year. I definitely think that this is a team where even if they are a step below Milwaukee and the Celtics in the regular season, I think come playoff time, if everything breaks right, they are going to be in a very, very similar position. Uh, any other thoughts on the Cavaliers before we move on, Aaron? No, I just, 
I mean, maybe we should start a Cavs podcast. I mean, dang, I didn't know. You know, we, we we always sound so negative about the Pistons. It seems like it's it's weird to be so in lockstep on how excited we are about another team in the division. <laughs> yeah, it's just maybe it's for me. It's because I have fantasy football brain, so I'm all about like value. But like, I, I look at those championship odds. I mean, plus twenty five hundred. They're in the same place as like the Mavericks and the Kings and. I mean, no, they're. I mean, they're the same, but it's like the Mavericks. I look at those respective rosters, and I just, I don't know. I, I see a lot more potential when it comes to the Cleveland Cavaliers than it does the than I do with the Dallas Mavericks or shoot even the Clippers or the Sixers or the Heat or the Warriors at this point in time. I just think this is a very, very undervalued squad, at least when it comes to the betting lines. Um, you know, I'm not taking out a second mortgage on Mike's house, but. I might take out a third. Um, let's move on to the next team in this division. Now, this team finished third in in or sorry, fourth in the division last year, but they are tied for third with the fourth team that we're going to be covering today. That's the Indiana Pacers. They went 35 and 47 last year. They are plus 4,000 to win the division. Um, I actually don't if you'll actually give me one split second, I do need to pull up their championship odds. They are now. That's that. That is crazy. They are plus twenty five thousand, uh, tied with teams like the Jazz, the Mavericks, and the Rockets. This is a team that is also on the upswing, and I think for Pistons fans, this is a team you're really looking at because they are in your division. They are in a similar stage of their rebuild, and in many ways, um, there there are some overlapping storylines here. I think. Starting off with Tyrese Halliburton, who was the famously the man who was not selected by Troy Weaver in his first draft of 2020 in favor of Killian Hayes. Um, that is a guy that is in your division probably for the next decade as they just re-signed him. They were also able to add Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin for two first second round picks, excuse me. And with their first round pick, they took Jarris Walker this year. Uh, another guy that was very heavily linked to the Detroit Pistons in the draft. On the other side, they lost some lesser role players in O'Shea Brissett, uh, George Over the Hill, and Chris Duarte. This, to me, is an interesting team. Their projected win total is 38.5, which is, what, three and a half games over what they finished last year. Nothing crazy. But there's a lot of questions going on here. I think for me, it really comes down to what is the ceiling with this current roster? They certainly have playoff potential, but do they have enough to get there? Did they add enough in this offseason with Jairus Walker and Bruce Brown? And on the other hand, in terms of who they might lose, is Buddy Heald on his way out? Because you cannot forget that another player who was very much linked to the Pistons in his draft, in Benedict Matherin, is coming off of the bench for them right now um, as their backup shooting guard. So you certainly think he's going to be the future more so than Buddy Heald. What happens there? Um, you know, they are on the upswing. How much are they on the upswing, though? Aaron, how are you feeling about these Indiana Pacers? Because I feel like there are a lot of questions. There's a lot of opinions people could have on them. And to be honest, I don't know if I could disagree with anyone that's high on them or anyone that's low at them at this point. Indiana seems to me like the 
I don't know if it's fair to say like flavor of the month, flavor of the season, whatever, but they're the team that a lot of people are picking as that next young team to kind of overexceed expectations, compete for a play-in spot, compete for a playoff spot, make the playoffs. And I just don't know if I'm there with them yet. And I think Tyrese Halliburton is one of the best young guards in the NBA. I think he could, you know, be the next guy to, to, to take Indiana back to the playoffs. I just don't know if it's this year. I, I still feel like they're a little young. It, it also, I think the Buddy Heald question is fair. If they can't agree to a contract extension, it wouldn't surprise me if Indiana moves him to another team. But the, the youth there is is probably the biggest question mark. Benedict Matherin, Jarris Walker, Andrew Nemhard, like they they're they're good young players, and there are some older guys on the roster, namely Miles Turner, who has stuck around through year after year of trade rumors. I think the addition of Bruce Brown is is certainly going to help them. But with all of the competition in the East, with it feeling like so there's uh so much so many teams that could make the playoffs that could make the plan i just don't know if i'd put my horses on the indiana pacers i almost feel like a team in this in a similar echelon with them the orlando magic are a team that i'd feel more comfortable uh betting on to to make the playoffs to make the plan just because a i think they have two all-star type guys in wagner and Paolo Bencaro, and I think their supporting cast in depth is is older and, and better overall. So it's not that I'm necessarily low on Indiana. I do think that they do have a bright future, and they're going to have a lot of cap space to work with to continue to build out the roster, maybe chase another all-star name to, to pair alongside Halliburton. I just don't know if they're going to be good enough this year to beat out these other teams that are trying to, to fight their way up in the East, and, and some of the other teams, like the next team we're going to talk about, uh, stay relevant in the East. Yeah, I, I'm very much with you here. I'm just not in love with their best players. I, I'm going to use a lot of very similar language, I think, to how I talked about last week, the Washington Wizards, a team that I'm higher on than their projected win total. Um, I just don't think is going to be like great, but I think they're going to be way more competitive than people give them credit for because they just have a lot of good players, a lot of guys I like, a lot of guys who can fit a role and can play hard and can do things for your team that are positive instead of negative on the floor. Um, I look at Indiana very similarly. There's a lot of players on this team that I look at and I go, that that dude could be on my roster. I, I think even like, you know, an Andrew Nemhart, an Aaron Neesmith, an Obi Toppin, TJ McConnell, Jalen Smith, even Jordan Nwora to like a very lesser extent. These are all players that can help your team stay competitive throughout the year. But when you look at what it takes to make the playoffs, to win in the playoffs, it takes those stars. And while Tyrese Halliburton, like you said, is one of the best young guards in the league, I mean, you don't average 20 and 10 uh, based off luck. Like, you have to be an elite passer. You have to be a really good scorer. And he's efficient scoring it too. He's just a great player and one that you have to wonder where... Detroit would be if he was here instead of Killian Hayes. It would be interesting. Let's not dwell on it too much, though. That being said, it's like you said, like Buddy Heald. Is he going to get moved? 
Miles Turner, he's been on the trade block literally since I was in college. I'm 30 now. Um, he just This guy is just always on the trade block. I just don't see that other guy for them that can really elevate them, that they can go to in crunch time, that when the game is on the line, you can go, look, we need somebody who's going to go out there and the defense is going to be draped all over him, and he's going to score 10 straight points anyway. It doesn't matter who's on him. I'm not quite sure Tyrese Halliburton's that. And I'm not sure Benedict Matherin is quite at that place either. To me, I think that this is a team that is going to be just a little bit better than they were last year. And I really like that 38-and-a-half line. I think that that's pretty much perfect for them. They are on the upswing, but they are missing that extra bit that you need to really make the playoffs. And I can definitely see them during the season pulling off a trade. Maybe they package Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and a first-round pick, and they really go out and get that that top-level score. They get a backcourt partner for for Benedict, or sorry, for Tyrese Halliburton. Or they focus on the wing a little bit more. I think Jarris Walker is definitely going to be a difference maker for this team, but it's going to take time. I just don't see him being able to step in day one and give you, you know, 16 and 7 a night with four assists. I think that that's maybe next year where that happens. Um, same with Benedict Matherin. I just don't know if he's a 20-point-per-game scorer right now, a go-to guy. He's not a creator right now. So I just think that they are a year away from being what people are kind of talking about them being this year, but definitely a team on the upswing, definitely a team I like, and definitely a team that with a couple of moves could change everything we're talking about them right now. Do you agree with that? And, and, and hey, who knows? 38, 39 wins, that could be enough to get into the play-in. I mean, it's probably right around there, that number, with with how many teams are going to be trying to get in to the playoffs this year, with how competitive the East is going to be. 38, 39 might be enough. Yeah, possibly. I, I think for me, though, I'm looking at the – I'm taking the under here, personally. I, I think 37 wins feels right to me. I, I just don't – I can see them looking better. I can see them aesthetically feeling better. But this is a really tough – like, this division got, in many ways, harder in the offseason. And, like, obviously, Damian Lillard going to – to Milwaukee's a big part of that. And Cleveland having another year to solidify their roster is a big part of that. But like Chicago, while they are not on the upswing, they're still there. And they still are going to be tough for this team. They're equivalent talent level. And the Pistons, knock on as much wood as you can find, knock on a whole damn forest, they are going to be better as well. So I think even if the Pacers get a little bit better, everybody else around them probably got a little bit better too. So I think for me, I'm I'm taking the under, but very slightly. Aaron, how about you? Are you taking the over or the under on that 38 and a half win total? Yeah, if I had to, I'm I'm also on the under. It's like they they could do it. They could get 38, 39, maybe 40, but I just don't see a world where they're you know a surefire to get 42, 45 wins. It feels like they're a, at least a year away and a couple moves away. Yeah, I have to say, man, these these lines have felt a lot tighter than in years past. Just looking over our divisional preview. Um, I remember last year, I just hammered the hell out of the Kings over. Uh, I hammered the hell out of the Jazz over. Those were just just so clearly undervalued. There's only a couple teams I feel like that about this year. 
I think a lot of these lines are, are pretty good. Um, and let's move on to the next team, one that is projected for one less win, 37 and a half wins. That is the Chicago Bulls. They went 40 and 42 last year. They did not make it out of the play-in. Uh, they were able to add Javon Carter and Torrey Craig, whereas they lost Patrick Beverly and Derrick Jones Jr. They kind of doubled down again. They re-signed Kobe White. They re-signed Dosumu. They re-signed Nikola Vucevic. This is, Aaron, I think, one of those teams where you're just waiting for the wheels to fall off at this point, aren't you? Because they are running it back with Zach Levine once again, with Nikola Vucevic back once again, and DeMar DeRozan once again. Those guys are all one year older than they were last year, and last year they were not exactly inspiring confidence. Uh, Vucevic is 33. DeRozan is, is he going to be like 35 this year? Is that it? I got to look. 34 this year. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of a tough situation. They are just sort of treading water at this point. Doesn't it feel like that to you? So 37 and a half. First off, I just got to know. Are you taking that over or are you taking that under? I don't know. I, Chicago, to me, feels like a team that could go one of two ways. They could come out and just be a train wreck. No one's bought in. No one wants to be there. They know they're not good enough to, to really compete. And so everyone's just kind of going through the motions until the front office makes major, major moves. On the flip side, this is a team that won 46 games just two seasons ago, started off the year playing incredible basketball, and looked like they maybe had some life. You know, not a championship team, but a team that was going to fight in, in some playoff series. So if if guys come back rejuvenated, like they brought in a couple defensive-minded players in Torrey Craig and Javon Carter, if if there's a new buy-in, maybe they revert back to that and, and can win 45 games like they did in, in, in 2021. It just feels like they're going to go one of two ways where they surprise people or – they fall apart and they're forced to make major, major moves. I, I don't know if they're, I just don't feel like, oh, they're going to just be a 38 win team again. I feel like if they're trending that way, you could see a guy like Zach Levine move middle of the season. And, and, you know, then they lose, you know, then they win 25 to, to 30 games instead of 38, 39. I just feel like they're trending one way or the other. And I guess it's probably safer to pick that they're, uh, on the under, but I do see a world where, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and, and come together and say, look, this is our last chance to to put together a playoff team here. If we don't get back, they're obviously going to be making some major decisions. And, and maybe there's just a, a new level of buy-in. The guys that were brought in can contribute. And I mean, hey, they, they did double down. Like there, there has to be some internal belief to re-sign Vucevic and Kobe White to big deals and bring back Dosunmo while not trading DeRozan or Levine. Like, there has to be a belief that they can turn this thing around and maybe bide their time until uh, another potential move uh, becomes available. But we'll see. It's probably safer to bet the under, but I do see a world where the over is possible. Yeah, this is a team that I would stay away from in terms of betting. Because I can see such a wide range of outcomes for them. 
Uh, this is a team that absolutely is health dependent. And one guy we didn't even talk about in terms of losses, but I think you unfortunately at this point have to consider him a loss is Lonzo Ball. I, it, it it does not feel good to say that, but he's out for the entire season and losing him. I just think that that hurt them so, so badly because I can see what they were trying to do. You go, look, we have Levine, we have DeRozan, we have Vucevic. These are all guys that, while limited a little bit defensively, are still some of the best scorers in the league at their respective positions. And then, hey, let's fill in the rest of the roster with guys who are unselfish, play really hard defense. That's where you bring in your Alex Caruso, your Lonzo Ball. Um, I, I think that, you know, even to a lesser extent, like your Andre Drummond, the guy who can step in, and, and spell Vucevic and still get you really, really great rebounding numbers. Um, Patrick Williams is back there for another year as well. And I think that when they re-signed him and look at the guys that they brought in too and Javon Carter and Troy Craig, I think they're doing the same thing. They're doubling down on this and they're saying, look, we have an idea for this roster. It just hasn't been able to fully be realized because Alex Caruso hasn't been able to stay healthy. Lonzo Ball hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, when you bring in two players and Torrey Craig and Javon Carter, who can both shoot a little bit, don't need the ball in their hands, but can, in Javon Carter's case, hand a little bit, li- little bit and play outstanding defense. Io DeSumo is also a guy who can, who can, you know, not a great defender, but he can lock up a little bit. I can also see it just completely falling apart for them. Like you said, if they get hit by the injury bug again, or somebody's not happy, things don't start off well, I could see them absolutely being like, look, we, we just can't keep doing this. We need to blow it up. We still have some young talent on the team. We need to just sell what we can and start over. I think that that's very much on the table. But I don't fault them for running it back one more time because more so than anything, and while it's easy to make fun of them for going in on what is not a championship team, Sorry, even if everything breaks right, they're not winning the NBA title. They're probably not winning the East either. I still think they can win a playoff series or two if they can stay healthy. If you can go into the playoffs with two elite scorers in your backcourt, an elite scorer in the frontcourt, and a whole bunch of wings and guards who can defend at a high level and shoot, you're going to be looking pretty good. So while this is a team that I personally would stay away from betting, I just think that there is such a wide range of outcomes. I could see them winning, no joke, Aaron, I could see them winning 25 games. I could see them winning like 46 games as well. I really think it's all on the table for them this season. Um, yeah, do you do you fault them for running it back one more time? Like, Do you think that was a bad decision? Or do you kind of more go with what I'm saying here, which is, you know, it just hasn't worked, but that doesn't mean it can't work. It it's just like, what else were they going to do? Like, were they going to get good assets this offseason moving off of Levine and DeRozan and letting Vucevic walk, who they traded Wendell Carter and first-round picks for? Like, it, it kind of feels like they had DeRozan under contract. They had Levine under contract. The other two guys they signed are young players who were playing for them and, and are seemingly NBA-level players in DeSumo and Kobe White. So... I don't fault them at all. They're, they're, they were in a tough position. You know, they, they went in on, on Nikola Vucevic years ago. 
they had to do what they had to do. They had to bring the band back together. It doesn't make sense to let Vucevic walk when he's still a, a walking double-double. They're clear-cut starting center. Letting him walk and and immediately getting worse when you're still paying millions and millions of dollars to, to Levine and DeRozan, who are under contract and seemingly going to be there until they do decide to blow it up. And it just didn't seem like they were going to get great value this offseason with the way last year ended for them. They had to run it back and hope that either A, they, are, they play better than expected, or B, they still don't play well as a team, but Levine or DeRozan plays well enough to up their value a little more so that they can get better assets if they decide to sell off one or both of them. Yeah, if I didn't think that there was a really big chance that they would sell one or both of those guys, I would definitely be hammering the over on this because you look at it, this is a better roster than it was last year. Like, replacing guys like Derek Jones Jr. and uh, Patrick Beverly with Javon Carter and Torrey Craig, I think to me, that's a win. Like, period. That's a win. And you can't underestimate how much of an effect proper role players can make for the team as a whole. So, very interesting team. Not one that I would necessarily be putting my money on but one that I'm not counting out by any stretch of the imagination. All right, Aaron, here we go. Here we are. Your Detroit basketball Pistons. We are finally here. It has been a long road, Aaron. 17 and 65 last season. Second worst record in the history of the franchise. They are plus 25,000 to win the division. Um, I don't know what their title odds are, but I'm going to assume they're not much better. Yeah, they are plus 50,000. That is dead last in the NBA, tied with Charlotte Hornets and the Washington Wizards. Uh, Vegas is not super high on this team. Let's be honest, their win total is set at 27 and a half. Well, you know what? Before we even get into the key offseason's additions or losses, you taking the over or the under? Let's just, I want to get it right out there. Over or the under, 27 and a half. I'm taking the under for, for the Pistons. I just don't think, look, there's there's teams every year that, that can't get above 25 wins. I think the Pistons are one of those teams that, you know, they could get 25. I don't see a world where they're cracking this over. It would just take too much going right. There's too much, too many issues with this roster. There's too much variance in health on this team. You're bringing in a new coach, a new philosophy, a new system. I just don't see it hitting the over. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I will take the under and feel confident in doing so. All right. Well, let's get to that roster that you were talking about. Look, the offseason losses were not too bad. Rodney Magruder, Hamadou Diallo, Corey Joseph. You brought in with the fifth overall pick, Asar Thompson. With the 25th pick, you brought in Marcus Sasser, traded for Monty Morris, one of the best backup point guards in the NBA and traded for Joe Harris, one of the best shooters percentage-wise in the history of the entire league. And one guy who's not listed on there, because he was on the team last year, but he only played 12 games, some guy named Cade Cunningham. I've heard he's back. Do you know anything about him, Aaron? I I, I don't know much about him. Um, I'm assuming he might be somewhat useful, kind of important to the retur- to the, the, the future of this team. Um, yeah. They are still now in a place where they are bringing back Cade Cunningham. There is, I don't even want to say smoke. It seems like it's a full-on five-alarm fire at this point. Jaden Ivey moving to the bench. 
in favor of starting Isaiah Stewart and Asar Thompson, along with Boyan Bogdanovich, Cade, and Jalen Duran. There is still, of course, also the question of two big lineups. Um, it does seem like Isaiah Stewart is going to be the starter for the season heading into the year. You already hit on the win total, Aaron, but I'd like to hear a little bit deeper your thoughts, not just on the win total, but on these additions to the team. I, I don't think we need to talk about Hamadou Diallo for too long. Look, I, I wrote a piece last week on palaceofpistons.com talking about the pressure that the Pistons have put on Cade Cunningham with the roster that they've put around him. And I, I would highly encourage people to go and, and read that, check that out. That gives a lot of detail into why I feel this team is going to be under 27 and a half wins. I don't do not love the roster construction. I do not love some of the decisions that it seems like we're trending towards, i.e. Jaden Ivey coming off the bench so the team can start double bigs in Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran while also starting Asar Thompson, who, while I am, you know, very high on, I think he can help this team right away. But it 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 just feels like the spacing in that lineup is going to really, really be a big time question mark. I just don't think this team, uh, this roster was was built around Kate Cunningham properly. And that's who you're building this roster around without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, this roster should be, is being built around Kate Cunningham, but the guys being put in place around him, I have major, major questions on. I the they they extended Isaiah Stewart, they've they've doubled down on the idea that he is this team's starting four alongside Jalen Duran. Uh, Stewart's not a reliable three-point shooter yet, despite what people want to tell you. The numbers do not back it up statistically. Uh, he is not a uh, capable of defending, you know, six eight, six nine, small forward, power forward type guys. And I just I, there's just too many question marks with this team. The health is obviously a concern. They're already banged up heading into the season specifically with Isaiah Livers and Boyan Bogdanovich. Monty Morris hasn't played in preseason yet. So a lot of question marks on this team. Uh, that being said, I do like Asar Thompson. I think uh, we've seen so many, so many good things from him dating back to summer league, but also in the preseason as well. Monty Williams has spoken so incredibly highly of him. We, we sat with Williams after – the Pistons open practice on Sunday and he talked about how much Thompson has, has shown already so quickly. Thompson then talked about, you know, just how much he's learned already. I mean, there's so much to like about him and it, it, it does feel like he's going to play a big time role for this team right away and down the line. Um, I think the big question mark right now is, is the guard rotation. It seems like the Pistons are set on Stewart and Duran. It, it seems like that's kind of uh, locked, ready to go. They're not backing down on that. But what does this guard rotation look like? They have probably six guys vying for four rotation spots in Cunningham, Ivy, Alec Burks, um, Marcus Sassu, who was another first-round pick from this team this year. They traded assets to move up to get him. Killian Hayes, who's had two good preseason games, is now firmly in the mix for a rotation spot. And – you know, there's still Joe Harris who they acquired, who we really don't know if he has a role on this team yet or not. There's a lot going on. 
uh, in that guard group. And it's very interesting to see where the Pistons land. Monty Williams said with this team healthy, he wants to run a 10 man rotation and there's probably 12 guys that you can legitimately make a case for maybe even 13 uh, to make a case for them deserving rotation minutes. So a lot of question marks surrounding this team, uh, but the overarching storyline, at least in my mind, is that I am very concerned about how the Pistons are building out the roster around their franchise player, Kate Cunningham. Yeah, Aaron, unfortunately, I'm also taking the under, and I'm literally taking it. I'm predicting 27 wins for this roster. I think a 10-win improvement, I know people won't love that, but like that's actually still a pretty big improvement, even if you think you would have won you know, 24 games last year with Kate Cunningham. He wasn't there. Um, winning 10 more games is, it would be an improvement for this roster. I want to, I want to believe. I want to believe so bad. There are just, like you said, too many questions for me to confidently go into the season and take the over. I love Kate Cunningham. I do think that there is a lot of talent on this roster with him and Duran and Ivy and Thompson. There are definitely things to like, but there are so many questions and it's impossible for me to take the over on a team that I have this many questions about. I don't know what their philosophy is going to be if Isaiah Stewart doesn't work out at the four. Are they going to just keep doing it for the whole year or will they adjust? If injuries happen again, unfortunately, it is it is a thing that has happened with Cade in back-to-back years. I don't I don't want to say he's injury prone because I think it's way too soon to say that, but it's something you have to keep an eye on. And just when you even break down like the guard rotation, the lack of power forwards on this roster, uh, the lack of depth at the wing position, there are just so many things that if they go a little bit wrong, you can see it sending the entire season into a tailspin. If everything breaks right, sure, they could win 32 to 35 games. But I just see the possibility of things going wrong as being so much greater. And there's so many more things that could go wrong that could derail so many aspects of this season. I mean, shoot, you think about it like, we're not sold on Isaiah Stewart at the four, but what happens if Isaiah Stewart goes down? Like, who is playing the four? We're back to Boyan Bogdanovich playing the four there. And uh, Jane and Ivy coming off the bench, how many minutes is he going to play? How does that affect, you know, his mentality? We just don't know at this point. And I'm not making any sweeping judgments, any sweeping proclamations about the coaching staff or any of the players on this roster, other than Isaiah Stewart. I, he's just, he's, it's not going to happen. Sorry. Feel free to bookmark this podcast and tell me how stupid I am. But I'm sorry. I've seen the comments on our last couple podcasts. People are starting to come around to what we've been saying since the day they signed Kelly Frickin' Olenek two years ago. This is just a team with so many question marks. Yes, there is talent. Yes, I believe in Cade. Yes, I love the Monty Williams hiring. But I'm just, I'm concerned. I'm just really, really concerned. And obviously, we will talk about the Pistons a whole of a hell lot more moving forward on this season. But I cannot in good conscience take the over when I have to ask myself 15 different questions 
and I have to talk myself into all these different scenarios in order for them to hit the over, whereas the scenario where they hit the under is Kate Cunningham misses 25 games. Like, it's that simple. Kate Cunningham misses 25 games. There's no way in hell they hit the over. So, Sar Thompson misses 25 games. How do they hit the over? Like, he's already their best defender. He's already their only true wing on the roster. What do you do then? Um, yeah, and you know the injury bug is going to hit at some point because it does for every single team. So, and I think I just think there's story with this, you know, another question is who is going to still be on this roster halfway through the season? Excellent point. has been in trade rumors since he signed his contract extension, really since he signed or was traded to Detroit. He was in trade rumors to be traded out of Detroit, but he's been in trade rumors ever since Alec Burks is now in trade rumors as well. There's speculation that he's going to be moved. Um, you know, there's just, there's, Two guys right there alone, two guys that are A, in your rotation, two that could also be your starters. I mean, Bogdanovich is going to be a starter, and Burks started the first two games of the preseason for Detroit. But you're talking about two of your top rotation guys, two of your best floor spacers, two of your veterans on a very young team in trade talks to be moved, and the season hasn't even begun yet. So I, I think that's yeah. another factor that, that plays a role in this. Like, it doesn't feel there's not there's there's no indication that Detroit's really like all in on on trying to win a bunch of games this year, trying to fight for a play in spot, be like the Pacers, be like the Magic. It it feels like they're still trying to restore, rebuild, are gonna be making some more moves. Uh they say they want to play 82 meaningful games. That doesn't necessarily instill in me the confidence that they're trying to to you know take a a sizable sizable jump this year um but some would argue that a sizable jump for this team would be winning 27 and 28 games so yeah i look when you look at the amount of teams over the league that win 10 more games than they did the year before it's a short list it's hard to do and burks like you were saying uh mentioned in trade rumors for victor oladipo uh just for anybody that didn't see that and then of course we didn't even talk about marvin bagley james Wiseman. I mean, huh. that's, of course, a whole different bag of worms. Bagley looked great in the first preseason game. Wiseman looked better in the second preseason game. So these are going to be questions. Like you said, this is a team right now where you look at it and it looks like there's 12, 13 guys on the roster that have a justifiable argument to be receiving playing time, like meaningful playing time this year. And if you're going with a 10-man rotation, something has to give. So... Yeah, Aaron, I think we're both in agreement on this. We're both taking the under. It's not that we are, you know, saying everything is doom and gloom for the Pistons, that they can't hit the over, or that, you know, the future is completely barren and desolate. No, they still have an ability to pivot here. They still have a relatively clean cap. We know that that can change soon when you have to extend Kate Cunningham. But for right now, they do have the ability still to get involved in trades with other teams. Um, they still have the ability to move off of players on their roster to ex absorb salary. There is flexibility here. There's just a lot of questions as well. And it doesn't seem like there is a big push from this front office, despite what we heard over the last couple of years, to really go all in for the playoffs right now. Yeah, and I mean, look, another thing to back that up with is 
these Alec Burks trade talks, the Pistons were supposedly talking with Houston about trading for Victor Oladipo. And that's signaling to me that, A, that's dead salary. Like, Victor Oladipo's probably not playing again this year. Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports, who had the original report, said that uh, the plan in Oklahoma City was to waive him if they weren't able to trade him. And then they traded him to Houston, um, who's now also trying to reroute him. But it, it it signals to me that the Pistons are looking to take on more dead cap, trying to acquire assets because you believe that assets would have to be attached to Oladipo to, to take on essentially nine and a half million of dead cap space. So hearing that come out and, and maybe that was Houston calling Detroit and, and Detroit said, absolutely not. That's not the type of move we're trying to make right now, but I, it, it would go and it would fall in line with the type of moves that the, this front office has made in the past. So that's just another story that came out that, that doesn't really give me the vibe that the Pistons are all in on, on trying to to make a, a, a play and run this year and try to shock the rest of the NBA. It feels like they're taking this as another year to rebuild, collect assets, develop young guys, try out some different stuff. And that all just makes me feel very comfortable in taking the under on this team. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're trying to really kill yourself to make a play in, you throw a hundred million dollars at Cam Johnson. You don't trade for Joe Harris. Um, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, Aaron, any final thoughts on the Pistons for this podcast? I know we have plenty more on this team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we're not even done with the preseason yet. The Pistons are playing a back-to-back starting tonight when we're recording, and then the day this releases on Friday. So the Pistons will be wrapping up preseason then. It'll give us hopefully one last look at at Kate Cunningham. I, I would imagine he'll be back in at least one of these games. We don't necessarily have word yet, at least not that I'm aware of. If he's playing in either of these games, uh, hopefully he does. He did participate in the open gym uh, or open practice on Sunday at full strength, apparently. So um, hopefully we get a better look at Cunningham. Maybe we see Jaden Ivey sneak into the starting lineup for one or two of these games uh, as well. But we're going to have a lot to talk about. I know people have some people have been like, hey, where's the Pistons talk? I didn't come here for division previews. I want to hear Pistons talk. You get that year round. And, and we've built a lot of it into at least the last few previews as well. So we're going to be talking about the Pistons all year long. Next week, we're going to be coming in, recording the day after uh, the first game of the season. So you'll have a reaction to that. Like Detroit basketball is back. The Pistons are back. Kate Cunningham's back. Even though we're not high on the Pistons this year, it doesn't mean we're not excited. Like I am all in on watching Kate Cunningham again despite my lack of 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 belief in the current roster i still think kate is an all nba type guy a guy that could average 27 or 25 7 and 5 in his sleep like kate's going to be the guy still in my mind so i'm very very excited for for pistons basketball to be back and i'm glad you guys are along for the ride you want more pistons talk you're getting it from here on out and don't forget to go check out my post from last week on palaceofpistons.com. You beat week. me to it, Aaron. I was about to plug yeah. you right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please go check out that article from Aaron. I, I retweeted. I said, I you know, if there's something you're going to read on the Pistons, that's no BS, uh, no spin. That's the article to read because, Aaron, I think you really, really laid everything out in such a succinct, accurate, and unbiased manner. Um, I, I really cannot encourage our listeners enough to give that a a read. And of course, we are going to have more coming to you 
throughout the season on our website, on the podcast, on Twitter, on everything we can. I am so excited as well. Like you said, Aaron, like just because we're not thrilled about the way that this roster has been put together does not mean that we are not thrilled about some of the players on it and that we're not really, really looking forward to this season. All right. I think that is going to do it for us this week on the Palace of Pistons podcast. We want to thank our sponsors once again, Bet Online and the Believe Podcast Network for hosting us every single week on here. I want to thank our listeners. I want to encourage you all to check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, our website as well. That's going to do it for me. I'm Jasper Apollonia, joined by, as always, my fearless leader, Aaron Johnson. We want to thank you once again for listening to the Palace of Distance podcast presented by the Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.